Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Thanks, Izan. Yes, we've been busy um, recently talking about 2 Corinthians, and we've been in chapter 3. So um, those who want to, you're welcome to open up your Bibles with me there. Um, And... I'm going to be focusing on verse 18 this morning, but um, I'm just going to read a few extra verses um, to give context. Now, we all want deep, lasting transformation, not just superficial cosmetic change in our lives, right? We all need that. If you've been alive for a couple of years and you've been paying attention, you'll know that you need that. <laughs> we all need that. And I mean, there's a big industry of books being written and courses being done and all kinds of things on social media about how to change, how to experience life change. Um, and all of that's good and well, but for the most part, it often doesn't lead to deep lasting change real transformation often it only leads to superficial change even when the change is real often it's only superficial and the problem is the church is in danger of embracing all of those ways of producing change in people's lives and then being disappointed because that change fall short of what scripture promises, the transformation that scripture promises us. So only the truth of the the gospel and the power of the spirit can truly transform people, really, really transform people. And that's what uh, today's scripture is about. So let me just read if you can uh, put the scripture up on the screen. Um, I'm going to be reading from verse 13, just for context. 2 Corinthians 3 from verse 13, it says, Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites would not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, you know, which was what was passing away. But their minds were hardened for to this, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ. Is it taken away? Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray, Lord, that you'll teach your word to us, Holy Spirit, that you'll burn it into our hearts and that it will become real to us and that we'll experience it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the main point I want to convey to you, and I'm I'm just going to tell you up front, uh, just to make sure you get the main point, is, is this. We become what we behold. Okay? And that, that's a very simple truth, but probably one of the most powerful truths 
in the whole world. We become what we behold. Now, I want to give you a negative example of that. Uh, I once heard a testimony of a guy called Ted Bundy. Have any of you ever heard of him? He was a notorious serial killer. And Dr. James Dobson did an interview with him, a video interview with him, um, just before, I think it was hours, literally hours before his execution in the electric chair. And in that time on death row, I think, think he spent a couple of years on death row, he actually apparently got saved. Um, this is after he'd killed, I think, I don't know how many, but probably dozens of women, uh, sexually assaulted and, and killed, murdered them. And he, he said the following. He said, of course, when, when, when Dr. Dobson asked him, okay, what happened? How did you become a serial killer? He said, you know, it all started one day when I was a, a relatively young boy. I think he was a young teenager in his early teens. And he found a magazine in, in, in the trash, a soft porn magazine with, you know, some pornographic images, not even, you know, comparable to what, what's on the Internet today, it's relatively soft porn, but, but still pornography. And he started looking at that. And then, slowly but surely, you know, the soft porn didn't do it for him, and he graduated to more hardcore porn. And then, eventually, started watching all kinds of videos, pornographic videos. And in these videos, there are all kinds of perverted things, um, often violence that happens. And eventually, watching the videos wasn't enough for him anymore. He started having fantasies of doing it himself. And that's when he started tricking women, capturing them, taking them to his lair, and he became a serial killer. And he says he knows not of one single person who is on death row because of violent crimes, who is not deeply involved in pornography. You become what you behold. So that tells you how important what you behold is, what, but how important what you put in front of your mind and in front of your eyes, how important that is. It makes all the difference. It, it determines who you'll become, who you are becoming. Now, last week, Neil was sharing a bit with us about um, some of those scriptures and about how the veil remains there when the Old Covenant is read uh, in those for those who are, not, who are not born again, who are not in Christ. And what Paul does here is very interesting. He, he, demon, he, 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 talks about a un, he talks about a veiled reading of Scripture by demonstrating, a veiled reading of Moses by demonstrating an unveiled reading of Moses. Now, many of you might not have picked this up, but if you can just go to the Exodus scripture, Paul is actually preaching a sermon here based on Exodus 34, verse 19 and 20, because he talks about Moses. He says, unlike Moses, you know, who veiled himself, we are unveiled, okay? Now, here's the scripture that he's referring to in Exodus 34, from verse 29 to 35. It says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant, it was shining, because he had spoken to, with the Lord. Um, 
when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him uh, and he spoke to them. I, when I read that, I had to laugh a bit because it says that they came back. So they must have run away. <laughs> they were so scared they actually ran away. Okay. Then verse 32 says, Afterward, all the Israelites came near him. And he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. Uh, that probably refers to the tent of meeting where the presence of the Lord abides. So he'd go into the tent of meeting. And when he got there, when he was no longer amongst the people, but when he was in the presence of God, he would remove the veil. Uh, until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what he had been commanded. They saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak to the Lord again. So I don't know if you can see how Second Corinthians 3 verse 13 to 18 is actually a sermon that Paul is basing on Exodus 34 verse 29 to 35. And um, just three things I want to highlight specifically from, let me just go to the second um, place where verse 18 is, is broken down. Just want to read that again. Go down. There. Previous one. There we go. I just want to read that again. It says, and we all with unveiled faces beholding, um, and as we're going to see, it's not just beholding or contemplating, it's beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So I just want to highlight three things um, from this text and from, from this passage. Number one is what God has done. If you're a Christian, what God has done in your life with unveiled faces. What God is doing in our lives, being we are being transformed. And what we must do, beholding as in a mirror. So I just want to discuss those three things. So, so let's jump um, straight into it. And, and, and we see here that we'll see that, that Paul is comparing and contrasting our new covenant experience with Moses and the Israelites and with Moses' old covenant experience. So let's start with what the Lord has done, having been veiled. If you can just bring up that... Um, that image. And the veil that Moses put over his face while he was with the people became a symbol for Paul. Now remember, Paul is showing, not only saying that we, when we read scripture, we mustn't be veiled. He's demonstrating an unveiled reading of that same scripture. Okay? Of Moses specifically in Exodus 34. So, so he's saying that that veil becomes a symbol of hearts that don't want to see the glory of the Lord. And, and the reality is, I mean, we talk about the glory of the Lord, we sing about the glory of the Lord in very positive ways, but the reality is that to fallen, broken, sinful people, the glory of the Lord is pretty scary. I mean, Moses came to that area of Sinai, 
and he saw a bush because he was a shepherd and he saw a bush that was burning and he was afraid and then God said to him God spoke to him from the burning bush and said take off your shoes I'm going to send you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go and then he gets the people, he leads them out of Egypt, and we all know the story of, of the Exodus and the ten plagues and all of that. And he comes to the same place, and not only is the, the bush that's on fire, the whole mountain is on fire. And the Israelites say, uh, no thank you, we'll pass. You can go up the mountain and talk to God, and you can come tell us what God says. We don't want to get too close. We don't want to see that that's too much glory for us. Okay, And the veil becomes a symbol of hearts that don't want to see God's glory, that are afraid or unwilling to see God's glory. Um, and, and I just want you to think about this. I mean, the veil that, that we're talking about is, is a full veil that covers the whole face, not the veil with a slit that you can see through. It's, it's like a full veil. And... Those who are veiled cannot see or be seen. Okay? And that's why this is such a powerful symbol and image. Okay? Because when you're veiled, you cannot see and you cannot be seen. Okay. So what the Lord has done, we have been unveiled. Now, it's interesting there, um, you know, if, if you look at the, 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 the grammar of the Greek um, it's, it's, it's very difficult to translate because it's, it would be very clumsy. If, if we had to literally translate it, it would be, um, but we all with faces having already been unveiled. So it's very clear in, in the Greek that it's completed action. It's something that has already been done, number one. And number two, it's in the passive voice. It's not, it's not saying with faces that we have unveiled. It's with faces that have been unveiled by someone else. Okay? So, what this is referring to, and, and, and it's interesting because it says, when Moses went from the people into the presence of the Lord to speak to the Lord, he removed the veil. So now, Paul is changing it. He says, that's how it worked for Moses, but how it works for us is that when we turn to the Lord, it, it, it changes it from goes to the Lord to turn to the Lord. In other words, when, when there's repentance and we return to the Lord, it's talking about conversion. Not that we take the veil off, but the veil is removed. By whom? By God. It's a divine passive. In other words, that, that is what God does for us when we, when, when we get saved. So, so having been removed is completed action by God himself. It's God that takes away the veil. It's God that opens our eyes. It's God that allows us to see, that enables us to see. Now, um, Paul himself experienced this. I mean, I liked what, what Neil shared last week about Stephen. When Stephen was stoned, his eyes were open and he says, I see the Lord sitting at the right hand of God, or standing in fact. God was, Jesus was in anticipation of Stephen's martyrdom, was standing up from the throne and saying, I, re I welcome you with open arms. And he was seeing 
Stephen was seeing the glory of the Lord. And that, him seeing the glory of the Lord and saying that he was seeing the glory of the Lord was the last straw for the Jews, including Paul, who was still veiled. And they ran at him, dragged him outside the city and stoned him to death. And Paul was there with his veiled face, not knowing that he was veiled. And he, he was looking after the clothes of those who were stoning Stephen. And he was, um, you know, agreeing with, with what, 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 what they were doing. And then Paul comes, and on the road to Damascus, that same Jesus that Stephen saw, all of a sudden his glory shines. And Paul is knocked off his high horse. And he's lying there and he's blinded. And for three days, God allows him in his mercy to experience a physical blindness that reflects his spiritual blindness. For three days. And he says, Lord, who are you? He doesn't even know who he's talking to. And he says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth whom you're persecuting. He doesn't say, I'm Jesus whose followers you are persecuting. Note, he says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. If we are the body of Christ, if we get persecuted, Jesus gets persecuted. Okay? And then after those three days, Paul, Ananias comes to Paul. He's baptized in water. He's baptized in the Holy Spirit. The scales fall from his eyes and the veil is taken away. And he goes from darkness to light, both physically through the physical healing, and spiritually through the veil being removed. And from that day onwards, one of Paul's favorite ways of talking of salvation is going from darkness to light, being unveiled, being made so that you can actually see. And ironically, like Neil was saying, now Paul is at the place where he's unveiled and you have a bunch of veiled super apostles who are persecuting Paul. (laughs) So, um, the unveiling is something that God does. And it says, we are unveiled when we turn to the Lord. And Paul changes what is said in Exodus 34 from whenever he went to the Lord, went into the Lord, he changes to turning to the Lord. In other words, we turn away from our sin, from our old lifestyle, from our self-will, from our willfulness, our rebellion, our um, perversion, we turn away from all of that. We turn to the Lord. And it's when we turn to the Lord that the veil is taken away. Um, actually, that the, the, the translation there isn't strong enough because what it literally means is the veil is abolished. It's not only taken away, it's destroyed. And, and, and here's what I want you to see because it says, let me, let me just read that again. Just bring up um, verse 14 and 15 again, please. So I just, want to, I just want to read that to you. When, there we go. It says, but their minds were, were hardened for to this day, when they read the old covenant, they, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. And that taken away, like I said, is abolished, destroyed. Think about this, because we can read over that little phrase, and it's a short little phrase, and we can miss the power and the impact of it. What did Jesus have to do so that through Christ the veil can be taken away? What, What happened 
You think about veils when Jesus was on the cross, when he died on the cross. The veil was, of the temple was torn from top to bottom. As though God were doing it. Not from bottom to top as though man were doing it, but from top to bottom as though God were doing it. The veil was there. And Hebrews talks about the veil of his flesh. That we approach, we enter into the Holy of Holies through the veil of his flesh. So what happened with that physical veil in the temple reflected. Because remember, Jesus is the temple of God. He said, I'll destroy this temple. Or destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. And he was talking about the temple of his body. So the veil of his flesh was torn so that the veil that blinds us can be torn. In other words, Jesus paid a very, very dear price so that the veil can be removed from our eyes and so that we can actually see. And when we realize that, we can really appreciate how profound and how powerful it is that the veil has been removed. Do you thank God enough for removing the veil from your eyes? If you want to thank him, then use those unveiled, that unveiled face to behold Jesus and be transformed into his image. That's the best way of saying thank you to him. And this means if, if, if God is the one that takes away the veil, then it means the following. And, and this is very important because I hear people saying, you know, I tried Christianity and it didn't work for me. If you think you tried Christianity, you didn't try Christianity because Christianity is not something you do. Christianity is something that is done to you. Hello? So if you try Christianity, you're not actually trying Christianity because you cannot try Christianity because it's not something that you do. It's something that is done to you. If you have tried Christianity and it hasn't worked for you, then you have not experienced Christianity at all. You've completely misunderstood it. You have thought that it's a religion like all the other religions of the world where you just have to do the right stuff and then you'll get the right results. And where all the other religions of the world are religions of do, Christianity is a religion of done. It's primarily, now I'm not saying that in Christianity there's nothing that you do. Don't get me wrong. There is something that you do. But it's primarily what is done to you that makes you a Christian, not what you do that makes you a Christian. It's that unveiling, that conversion, that w what the Lord does. And, and Moses had to repeatedly unveil himself. Veil himself when he went to the people. Unveil himself when he went to the Lord and into his presence. But... Then Paul interprets that Lord. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, he say, then he says, that Lord. And, 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 and that's the, the English translation. Lord is the English translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. You'll see in your Bible, it's, it's, it's in small caps. So it's, it's the, the, the Hebrew word Yahweh. He says, that Lord, that Yahweh, is the Spirit. So it, here's an interesting thing. Because on the one hand, it's clear, he says, that Lord there is Yahweh. Now it's it's Father God. But he just said, when you turn to the Lord, it's taken away. Only through Christ is it taken away. So, so he's saying that that Lord is Christ. But then he goes on in the next verse and he says, that Lord, that Yahweh, in that passage in, in Exodus 34, that is the Spirit. In other words, who is this Lord? 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity. And particularly, I mean, the focus here is on the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says the difference is, he says, not only in the New Covenant do we experience more than what the Israelites experienced, we actually experience more than what Moses experienced. He went to the Lord and he experienced the unveiling and glory from the outside shining on him so that his face shone. We experience more than that. We don't just go in and out of the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord comes into us in the form of the Holy Spirit and abides in us. And where Moses constantly had to unveil and veil and he had to every time go back in because the, the, the glory was fading. So he had to go back into the presence of the Lord for a top up. <laughs> of his glory <laughs> we have the Holy Spirit that same glorious Lord living inside of us in other words we, we, that's why we can live unveiled we don't have to veil and unveil veil and unveil veil and unveil we live unveiled because we're always in the presence of the Lord we don't have to enter the tent, tent of meeting we don't have to enter the tabernacle we are the tabernacle Christianity is the only religion where the worshiper does not go to the temple, but where the worshiper is the temple. And the glory of the Lord shines out from us. Isn't that amazing? So this being unveiled, having been unveiled, is a prerequisite for being transformed. And that's the next thing. He says that if being un- having been unveiled is what the Lord has done, past tense, completed action, then what the Lord is doing, continuous tense, what the Lord is busy doing is we are being transformed. And once again, it's a, in the passive voice. It's not something that we do. It's something that God does. But this is not a perfect passive participle. This is a present. And, and in the Greek, the present tense um, in the participles represents continuous action, com- incomplete action. And what's continuous action? This is being done. In other words, Our transformation is a process. You know, so often we turn to the Lord, we get unveiled, we get converted, we get saved, we get born again, and we think, all my problems are going to be over. In the twinkling of an eye, I'm going to be changed. And yes, there is radical change that happens with your conversion. But your conversion, your being unveiled, is the beginning of a journey of transformation. It's not the destination. So often we get converted and we're like, oh, I'm there, I'm arrived. We, we, we think we hear that the Holy Spirit saying like a spiritual GPS, you have arrived at your destination. <laughs> only when Christ returns will you hear the Holy Spirit say that. Because only then will you, in a twinkling of an eye, be changed to become fully like him. Your conversion is the beginning of the journey, not the end. Don't treat it like it's the end of the journey and sort of sit back and relax and, and, and think, okay, everything that has happened to you can happen to you. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, God's not done with me. God's still working in your life. Being unveiled is only the beginning. It's the beginning of a journey, the beginning of a process of transformation, of being transformed. And, and he even says, just to clarify, in case you missed the fact that, you know, being transformed is in, 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 in the present tense and continuous. He says, from glory to glory. From one level of glory to another level of glory. In other words, as you yield to the Holy Spirit, as you behold, 
you are changed. That glory of the Holy Spirit more and more comes through in your life, shines through in your life, radiates from your life, from one level of glory to another. And it's interesting, the word used there, and maybe you can just bring up the next uh, picture, is the word for transformation or for being transformed is the word metamorphometha. Okay, that's in the Greek. But you don't have to know the word, but you can probably hear it sounds like metamorphosis. Okay, so there's the Greek word, metamorphometha. And it sounds, it's actually the word that we get our English metamorphosis from. In other words, it's a radical change and transformation. I mean, with a, with a butterfly, the metamorphosis is, it starts as an egg. From the egg comes out a caterpillar. And the caterpillar turns into a, a chrysalis or a, or a pupa. And then out of that, after a while, after it's been covered in that chrysalis, um, the adult butterfly emerges. And it looks completely different from the caterpillar. What would take the caterpillar hours or even days to cross, you know, one stretch of lawn? The butterfly does in a few seconds by flapping its wings. That is the transformation that the gospel brings and that the Lord offers us. It's a, it's a complete metamorphosis. It's a complete change. But here's the irony. In order... For the butterfly, for the caterpillar to turn into a butterfly, it must be covered. In order for us to be transformed into the image of Christ, we must be uncovered. The butterfly goes into the chrysalis and it gets covered. And there, inside, hidden, under a veil, metaphorically speaking, the transformation happens. But for us, it's the other way around. The veil is taken away. And as we are unveiled... And as with unveiled face we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the same image from one level of glory to another. Um, now, just here I want you to see we basically have three options. Two of those options are being conformed, and one of those options is being transformed. The, the one option is being conformed to this world. Remember in Romans 12, verse 2, Paul says, do not be um, conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? Now, now, here's the thing. The pattern of this world, the world is like a river that's just flowing. And if you're a fish that's just floating, you're going to float with the stream. You're going to be conformed to the pattern of this world. So if you do nothing, you are being conformed to this world. Okay. Now, the super apostles, who were also Jews like Paul, and, but who were Judaizers, they were, they were saying that the old covenant, that is the thing that brings the change. Okay. In other words, what they were saying is, you must be conformed on the outside. What Paul is actually saying, what they are saying is, basically that you must be conformed to the image of Christ. Not transformed into the image of Christ, but conformed to the image of Christ. But he says, what the old covenant can do is, at best... You can approach the presence of God like Moses and his glory from the outside can shine on you and you can, for a little while, shine and look a bit like Jesus. But it's going to fade. It's a fading glory because it's outside in, not inside out. So he's saying that the option, the, the, the sort of rebellious option, you know, the, 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 the worldly, the, the, the younger brother in the parable of the uh, prodigal son option is conform to this world. 
the older brother option, the religious option, the Pharisaic option, the option that Paul used to go for, and that's why he's so sensitive towards it, and the option that the super apostles were also propagating and saying, uh, this is the, the, the way to go. That's just conforming to the image of the Christ on the outside. You know, it's, it's behavior modification. It's not heart transformation. And too much of Christianity is disappointing today because it is external cosmetic behavior modification. It's not internal lasting heart transformation. Because many Christians make the mistake. They fall for the message of the super apostles. And, and guess what? There are still many super apostles. They're very popular. They're very slick. They're very fine looking and fine sounding. Just like the super apostles in Paul's day. Because they preach the gospel of keeping up appearances. Not the gospel of transformed hearts. And all that that produces is external behavior modification that lasts for a while, but that is ultimately disappointing. But Paul says, no, not conforming to this world and not conforming to the image of Jesus just on the outside. Being transformed by having our hearts changed on the inside, inside out change. In other words, and, and what we notice that he's saying, because a lot of people, even a lot of Christians and churches talk about life change. We want to experience life change. No, 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 no. Not life change. Because, you know, the person who starts using drugs and gets addicted to it also experiences life change. <laughs> but they don't become more like Jesus. The person who's in a car accident also experiences life change. But they don't necessarily become more like Jesus. He says, being transformed into the same image. What is that same image? It's the image of Jesus. And in other words, if if we want to become like Jesus, and maybe you can just bring up 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4 uh, on the screen. If we want to become, if, if, if we become what we behold, then we must make sure that we behold the right thing. That's very important. Uh, notice here what... what um, Paul says in chapter 4, verse 2 to, well, verse 3 to, to 4, he says, For if someone comes and proclaims, sorry, that's the, the wrong one. In, in, it, it, it's just, in fact, let me just read it. I copied the wrong scripture in there. In uh, chapter 4, verse 3, it says, um, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus Christ is the image of God. Okay, So we need to see Jesus. But it's important that we see the real Jesus. Bring up that that, that screen again. just want to read uh, chapter 11, verse 4. It says, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, a different Jesus in other words, and if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. He says, listen, you guys are, the only way you can receive the true Jesus and the true spirit is through the true gospel. And you guys, because you clearly don't know the gospel well enough, you tend to put up with false gospels and therefore with false Jesuses and false spirits. It says, if you want to be transformed into the image of Jesus, who is the image of God, you've got to make sure you've got the right Jesus. I mean, I often 
share this example. If I take a big block of wood and I carve out an image with long flowing hair and a big beard and long flowing robes and sandals on his feet and on the, on the, the, uh, at the bottom, you know, on the stand, I, I carve out in big capital letters J-E-S-U-S. And I take that image, that Jesus, and I put it on my table and every day I fall down before it and I worship it. Does that make me a Christian? Why not? I'm worshiping Jesus, am I not? Isn't that what Christians do? They worship Jesus. Why am I not a Christian if I worship that Jesus? Because it's not the real Jesus. <laughs> it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's a Jesus of my own making. And what Paul is saying is, don't create your own Jesus. Uh, let's be honest, how much of the church that we know of are actually doing that today? Oh, uh, this Jesus of the Bible, you know, he can be a bit harsh sometimes and, you know, he, he requires repentance and, you know, he, he requires sexual purity and etc., etc., etc. I don't like that Jesus. You know, he, he requires too much of a sacrifice. Well, Jesus who sacrificed everything for you is going to require everything from you. So we need to make sure, if we're being transformed into his image, we need to make sure that it's the right Jesus, this image that we're being transformed into. Now, if that is what God does, if God, what God has done is he has unveiled us, and if what God is doing is he is transforming us, metamorphing us, then what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Is there anything that we're supposed to do? Or do we just go along for the ride? Yes, there is something that we have to do. Beholding as in a mirror. And, and here, the, all the translations sort of under-translate it. They'll either translate it as contemplate or reflect or behold. I think that New King James actually translates it beholding as in a mirror. And, and, and there's a picture, or actually two pictures, of old ancient mirrors they were made of steel. They, they didn't have smooth glass like we had, and they didn't make mirrors out of glass in those days. They just took, took steel and polished it. So there's an old um, copper um, Egyptian mirror. Uh, obviously, it's, it's you know, been tarnished, so you can't really see much of a reflection in it. But you know, if, if, if it were in use, it would have been polished and, and quite shiny. On the, on the right-hand side, you can see the back and then the front, the shiny, polished front. Beholding as in a mirror. And, and, and that represents two things. Um, firstly, it, it represents, and you can see there, 1 Corinthians 13. Keep up that, that picture, please. Um, it, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, uh, where it says, it, it, it represents a, a picture that is not entirely clear. Okay? So, for now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Okay, so we're not even the glory that we're seeing now. Here's the thing: we cannot handle the full glory now. I mean, just like you cannot walk out here and look directly into the sun, you need some other filter. You need spectacles, glasses, something to filter the light of the sun. Otherwise, it's going to damage your retina. It's going to destroy your retina, and you'll be go, actually go blind. Likewise, if we saw God's glory full force, it would blind us. It would destroy us. We cannot handle it. Okay, so what we need is a is a reflection 
We cannot see it directly. We need to see it reflected. And that's what you do in a mirror. When you see something in a mirror, you don't see the thing. You see the reflection of the thing. Okay? And number one, it, it, it says that that is what we need. We need to see. We, 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 on the one hand, we see it in, not entirely clearly yet. But in the second place, we see it indirectly. We see the reflection of it. And, and what is this reflection? When we behold as in a mirror, what are, what are, what, what are the things that we see mirrored? That, that we see the image and the glory of God mirrored in? Okay, there are three things that, that Paul mentions. Okay? Uh, the first one in context is Scripture. Because remember the first few verses, uh, and maybe you can bring them up again, verse 14 and 15. He's talking about Moses and them. And he's talking when Moses is read, what does he say? A veil covers their hearts. And they, now, now, now Paul, Paul seems to be mixing his metaphors here. When something is read, which of your senses picks it up? Your ears. When you are veiled, which of your senses are blocked? Your eyes. Paul, are you confused here? <laughs> You're mixing your metaphors, or you seem to be. No, no, no. What Paul is saying, what Paul is saying, Remember, the veil becomes a symbol for spiritual blindness. What Paul is saying, that part of your spiritual seeing you do through your ears. This is very important, people. You need to get this. Because otherwise you'll always be partially blind, spiritually speaking. Part of your spiritual seeing you do through your ears. By hearing Scripture. And when the veil covers your heart, you cannot hear. Because part of your spiritual seeing you do with your ears. Can you see that? So he's saying, the one mirror in which the glory of God is reflected to us is scripture. James chapter 1 says the same thing. You know, beholding yourself as in a mirror, you know, the person, one person walks away and doesn't change anything. So scripture is a mirror that allows us not only to see ourselves, but to see God and his glory. But only when we've been unveiled. When we read scripture with unveiled faces, scripture becomes a mirror that reflects the glory of, the God, of God to us. As in a mirror. And we can see his glory. And by beholding his glory, be changed, be transformed into that same image. So the, the one is, is scripture. The, the second one is, is Christ. So he's saying it's, it's not enough just to read scripture. You've got to see Christ in scripture. And we often talk about the fact that the gospel is not just truth to look at in Scripture, but it's truth to look through. It's a lens. And then it's truth to live out. Okay? But you've got to read Scripture through a gospel lens. Paul, uh, Jesus says to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, around verse 39, 40, he says, you search the Scriptures diligently, but these are the scriptures that speak about me. Yet you would not come to me that you may experience life. If you don't find Jesus in scripture, you won't find life in scripture. That's part of what it means to read scripture in an unveiled way. You've got to see Christ in scripture. Because it's only when you come to Christ. It's in Christ that the veil is taken away. It's in Christ when you come to him that you get born again. And that you experience the beginning of change. That leads to a lifetime of change. Um. Let me just read chapter 4, verse, verse 4 for you again. 
Because it says it explicitly. It says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus comes, takes away that veil, takes away that blindness, so that we can actually see him in the gospel, in scripture. There's a lot more I can say about that, but I'm running out of time. The third thing, so firstly, first mirror scripture, second part of the mirror is Christ, seeing Christ in scripture. Third is, notice he says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being changed into the same image. And we all. In other words, it's within the community. It's within the community. Now, think of this. This makes sense. Because he says right at the end of that verse, for all, all of this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Who inspired Scripture as a mirror? The Holy Spirit. Jesus is specifically referred to here, not as Jesus, but as Christ. What does Christ mean? Anointed. Anointed by whom? By the Spirit. What makes us part of the we all with the unveiled faces? That we've turned to the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, what makes you part of the community, the we all, is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. In other words, the Christian community is part of the mirror that reflects the glory of God that we can see. In other words, that means that per definition, you cannot be a Christian all by yourself. You, you get baptized not only into Christ, but into the body of Christ, into a community. And if you want to grow as a Christian, you need a community. So if you're not committing to community, you're not committing to transformation. You're not committing to beholding. I, you know... I've been speaking to, speaking to a couple of young men, a handful, over the last couple of months, you know, around lockdown and just, you know, sort of those breathing spaces in between lockdown that, like, we're experiencing now. Um, and, um, you know, I, th- I think being under lockdown and, and not being able to see people have, have sort of made a little bit of a fire under their bums and now they're, like, ready, like, I'm ready to get my wife now. You know, I'm realizing now is the time I'm <laughs> absence makes the heart grow fond and I'm realizing I need a woman in my life. And I say to them, that's great. I'm glad you realize that because the Bible says you finds a wife, finds a good thing. You cannot be passive in this thing. You've got to find a wife and, and by all means go for it. But what I said to them is don't make the mistake of only seeing the lady that you are interested alone. If you only have coffee dates and it's only the two of you, Firstly, that you won't build healthy relationship. And secondly, you'll never truly get to know her. Do you realize that? You cannot know someone except in community. You cannot truly know someone except in community. Um, you probably all know this um, example because I mentioned it before. Um, C.S. Lewis, um, J.R.R. Tolkien and those guys, they were 
part of a group called the Inklings, a group of writers who wrote together. And then one of them died. And, and C.S. Lewis, in, in his book, The Four Loves, he writes, I thought that when this, this one of the four of us died, I'd have more of the other two than I had before. But it turned out I had less of them. Because there were parts of them that this friend that passed away could draw out that I couldn't draw out. There, there were jokes that he would make that they would laugh at. There were comments that he would make that they would respond to. In other words, he could draw part, out part of their personality and who they are in a way that I couldn't. So I could get to know them in a way that I wouldn't be able to get to know them if it was just me. And, and what I say to these young men is, make sure you get to know your lady in community if you truly want to get to know her. Now, if that is true for a human being, how much more is it true for God? Who is much bigger, much more complex, much more powerful, much more huge and immense and rich than an ordinary human being. If, you, if it takes a community to get to know a human being, how much more is that true for getting to know God? So, we become what we behold. And, and here I just want to end off by saying this. The beholding here is not just glancing at. You, you, when, when, and, and that's why you know, it, it, it talks about beholding as in a mirror. That's probably the best translation of it. Because when you look at yourself in a mirror, you often look carefully. I... <laughs> I, I looked. I shaved this morning, and, and I, when I looked in the mirror, you know, just to sort of make sure my clothes were right, I saw here on the side of my beard, I, 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 I hadn't, there was a part that I hadn't shaved properly, so my, my beard is a bit asymmetrical. I don't know if you can see it. <laughs> then I, I did what James chapter 1 said you mustn't do. I walked away, and I forgot. <laughs> I thought I must have just gone, gone, gone fix it. Now no, I look like this. But when you look, you look carefully when you look in the mirror. You, you look, that's why contemplate is a, would be a good translation. Or even, even, but it's beholding carefully. It's looking carefully. It's looking intently and f- in a focused way. And that's what it says here. These three mirrors of scripture, Christ in scripture, and the community, the spiritual community. The, 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 the spirit-inspired scriptures, the spirit-anointed Christ, and the spiritual community. Those three mirrors, you must look intently at them. You must behold. Not just glance. Not just flick your eye towards it. Behold the image of Christ reflected in that. And as you behold, you become. As you behold that image, you become, you get transformed into that image. In other words, Transformation, the, the, the most crucial step in transformation is worship. Because that's what we do when we worship. We behold. As we were worshiping this morning, we were beholding Jesus. Together, we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. That's what we were doing. The key to the Christian life of being transformed continually from one degree of glory to another is being unveiled so that you can, in worship, behold Christ and become like Christ. That is what Christianity is all about.
Let's stand. Now, I don't know where you are this morning, whether you're here physically with us or whether you're joining us on YouTube. Maybe you're at that place where you realize, I've not even been unveiled yet. I need to be unveiled. Then I just want to remind you, the veil of Christ's body had to be torn so that the veil can be torn away. Christ is so committed to unveiling you that he was willing to die so that you can be unveiled and see him for who he really is. See his glory. That kind of love, you, how can you not respond to that kind of love? That's kind of self-sacrificing love. Or maybe you're saying, I'm, I'm in the process, I'm, I'm being transformed, but I'm, I'm getting stuck because I realize I'm not beholding as in a mirror. I'm not committed enough to worship and to reading scripture and meditating on it. You know, meditating on Christ in scripture or you know I'm not committed enough to community and spending time in community but wherever you are I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to say Lord help me whatever is holding me back from actually beholding your glory and being transformed into your image Lord I repent of that and I commit myself to doing what I need to do so that you can do what only you can do just in your own words. Um. Then I just want to just bring up that, that scripture of 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 again. One way of beholding as in a mirror is memorizing scripture and then meditating on it. Okay? And it's a, it's a discipline that we too often as modern Christians neglect. Okay? Um, the, the one we've, we've just verse 18 is alone. I just want, want that one. Go on three or so slides. Two or three slides. Um, because if we memorize scripture inside of us, then we can meditate on it and then we can behold through it. Okay, there we go. So I'm going to, I want us just to all repeat together. Whether If you're at home, you can do this with us as well. So I'm, I'll, I'll read and you just read it after me. And we all, with unveiled faces, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay, let's do it together now. And I want you, I'm going to do it three or four times. And, you know, after one or two times I want you to close your eyes and see if you can actually say it without looking okay let's go together and we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another 
for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Again, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Again, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. One more time. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, it's not that difficult to, to memorize Scripture. Take that memorized Scripture and go and behold as in a mirror with that Scripture today. Lord God, I just pray your blessing over your people. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the constant fellowship, communion of the Holy Spirit be with each of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.